0: Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the stride power podcast. My name is Evan Schwartz and I'm the host of the show. We hope you enjoy listening to our wide range of athletes, coaches, and experts in the running world. You can find out more about stride at stride.com spelled S T R Y D.com or check out the show notes. Feel free to give us a follow on social media by searching for stride running again, S T R Y D running without further ado. Let's get on to the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another Stride for the Love of Running webinar series. Hope everyone enjoyed that fancy little countdown timer we had there. As always, my name is Evan. I'm uh, your host of the series. Today, we're joined by Dr. Sarah Cheshin. Sarah, how are you doing today?
1: Not too bad. Not too bad for quarantine. How are you guys?
0: We are great. We're so excited to have you on. You are oh, not you. new to uh, the webinar stuff. I've seen you've been on a, a couple different talks and everything. So we're excited to get your, uh, your input and your expertise here today. I want to give a uh, reminder to anybody watching here at the top of the show that if you enjoy watching this, please feel free to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them along to us and producer Gus will pass them on to us uh, for the last portion of the show. Um, I'm gonna give a quick intro, Sarah, and then we're gonna get into it. Uh, Sarah, you're a Wisconsin native and you've lived in Colorado since 2017. Uh, You graduated with your uh, bachelor's of science in kinesiology from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and you're a doctor of physical therapy from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You're the head of Boulder Sports Physiotherapy, where you help athletes of all kinds. You offer services ranging from gait analysis to consultations to dry needling and now telehealth options. Uh, I can definitely say that I have uh, used some of those uh, resources in the past, and I love talking to you specifically about how you think about runners and and how you think about caring for runners. And I think it's a huge, important part. We're going to tie, you know some relevant topics uh, into things just with current times, but we're really excited to get your expertise um, here as well. So did I miss anything in your introduction? Is there anything else about yourself that people should know about you?
1: Um, No, I mean, thanks for the awesome introduction. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I also love peanut butter. I have a big trail runner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a dog that's great, loves to run with me. Yeah, um, but no,
2: you hit, hit most of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about a couple different main topics today, and again, really excited to get your uh, you know your expert input on this when we first started this series, it was definitely with the motivation that hey people are heading into a you know time of isolation a time where they have to pull back a little bit maybe their races have been canceled And as we've seen the weeks over weeks kind of evolve with different people um, you know different people's situations changing maybe some people are trying to return back to a more normal training volume that they were at before. we want to take this opportunity to maybe talk a little bit more specifically about, one, injury prevention, two, how to focus on using this continued downtime to your advantage from a PT's point of view, and then how to return back to a set training volume. So that could be, you know, a set training volume that you've never done before with guidance from somebody to make sure you do the best that you can to not get hurt. Uh, But also if you're just trying to ease back into things. So like I said, the first topic today is injury prevention. And this is something I think that all runners are probably so, so, so aware of. They they think of, you know, I'm gonna get new shoes so I don't get hurt. I'm gonna try my best to do stretching or exercise or rehab uh, so I don't have to go to a PT, but PTs are there for more than just after you've been hurt. And we're really excited to hear your kind of knowledge um, about this. So the first kind of question underneath this umbrella was In your normal day to day operations, what are the most common types of injuries that you do see?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I work a lot with runners. My place is up in Boulder. So I see a lot of runners. And so, uh, in thinking about that question, I would say the most common injuries I see are things that have to do with the knee. Um, So whether that's the classic like IT band syndrome, kind of thing, um, patella, tendinitis, um, things along the inside of the knee. I would say the knee's the most common. And what's interesting about the knee um, is physical therapists, you know, you come in with knee pain, but it it's, it's really something that could be going on at the hip or the ankle, right? Like the stereotypical, your glutes don't fire kind of situation. Um, you lack mobility in your ankles but it's so true and it's it's things that we don't realize that and then all of a sudden the middleman is taking up all the force and all of the branch. so yeah i would say knees are the most common and then um after that probably things like plantar fasciitis um posterior tibialis mm-hmm. like that arch pain kind of stuff um uh like glute tendinopathy mm-hmm. and low back pain,
2: mm-hmm.
1: low back pain too in runners. Um
0: are, are there certain times of the year where you see certain types of injuries be more common, whether that's somebody coming out of a winter and now all of a sudden, especially here in Boulder, they're going to do trail stuff or they want to do hard track stuff. Is that something that you typically see or is it kind of a mixed bag still?
1: Yeah, I love that question. I I don't I wouldn't say time of year necessarily will dictate, you know, more knee injury, more foot injury. Um but interesting that you say that I think in general and maybe this was more true when I lived in Wisconsin because people are so active year round here. So I think it's more of a mixed bag year round, but um like back in Wisconsin and people tend to be more sedentary throughout the winter, and then they ramp back up again, you know, spring, summer, um, that it's kind of the same thing, still knees and and feet, like arch pain, just from being sedentary. And now we're putting all of that increased load through our feet um, and into the knees and stuff like that. Uh, But I love that question. I would say for around here, for most of the time, it's still a pretty mixed bag and still knees and feet are the most common.
0: Totally. I actually have a question before we dive further down this. You mentioned, you know, back in Wisconsin, we went through that kind of in in your introduction. What brought you to Boulder and what actually goes into, I guess maybe backtracking a little bit more, what goes into becoming a PT? What does that actually look like? So a lot of people might not know how much education, how much schooling, how much practice you have to do to actually become a PT. So could you tell us a little bit more about that too?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that question. So... Um and it's changed a lot fairly recently, probably in the last, I don't know, 20 years maybe. Um, PT started out as just a bachelor's degree. I shouldn't say just started out as a bachelor's degree. Um, and then moved to a master's. So you had to do four years in a program and then two years of a master's program. And now in the past 20, maybe a little longer, it's now a doctorate degree. So, which is why I went to Milwaukee or um to get my undergraduate degree in kinesiology. And similar to medical programs, you can get your undergraduate degree in anything. I mean, I had classmates that were um, like biology degrees. I had a classmate that was a Spanish major. Um, any sort of degree, you just had to take the prerequisites. And then you go into a doctorate program, um, which looks a little different than medical school. Um, it's definitely not as long, um, but it's you know three, maybe four years, just depending on the program. Um, And uh, you go through clinical rotations and all of those things, and you end with your doctorate. Um, And so I did all that in Wisconsin. And I guess what brought me to Boulder was mostly just wanting to be in Colorado, kind of like everyone else. I love to be active. I love the outdoors. And Wisconsin really doesn't have much elevation change (laughs) to it. So uh, just really wanted to be out here where all of that was. And then I. it was funny when I went into PT school uh, and becoming a PT, I've always been an athletic person. So I kind of figured I was going to stick with working with athletes. And then as I went into school, you are uh, introduced to so many different aspects of physical therapy that I didn't realize existed. And so I really got into working with like the more neurologic population. So people with spinal cord injuries, people who have had strokes, um, people with brain injuries. And that was amazing to me. So I did that for a little while. And then once we moved out here, I and because I'm a runner myself and this community is so great for all of those things, I realized again, like, oh no, wait, this is actually what I really want to do. Um, so that's what brought, brought me here. But yeah, physical therapists are can do so much more than they used to, and it's
0: right. awesome. I love it. And what started you? You mentioned you did your undergrad in kinesiology. Did you like find that that was something you were really interested in, like when you headed into college, and that's been kind of that same path that you've followed? Have you just been interested in that, like human body movement and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, and I that is what is my favorite part about my job, Mm. and especially working with athletes, is analyzing how people move. Mm. It just, I geek out about it, it's fascinating to me. And I think you can learn so much about injury, you can learn so much about um, how to rehab people just by watching them move and just making little adjustments to, you know, what muscle is firing when, Um, how a joint's moving here so that when you load it in running, it can handle it better and you can prevent injury Mm. and all sorts of stuff. So, um, kinesiology was kind of the standard route. And then as soon as I started it, I, it, it just solidified that this is exactly what I wanted to do.
0: Right. Did you, um, do you feel like you've learned uh, different things just about how people actually behave and act when you are a PT and are actually seeing people versus what you were kind of educated on? So like you go through schooling and you might have practice, but then once you have all that experience of working, you know, that full-time job with people, did you feel like you learned stuff about maybe how the human body moves or specific injury stuff different than your education?
1: Yeah. And that's so funny you ask, because I was just talking about this with a classmate of mine, how you go through seven or eight years of school and you obviously learn a good amount of information. Right. Right. You um, hope
0: to retain it. You, you learn a lot, right. but you hope to retain it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. But then you get out into the real world. And even if when you're in your clinical rotations, you see this a little bit as well, but right. then you get to the real world and you finally get to see what these things actually look like because
2: mm, it's in
1: school you just you just have each other to kind of practice and learn with, right? So I can I can test for a torn ACL, but I'm not going to mm. really feel it because we all have intact ACLs, right? So right. I get out to the clinic, and then I'm like, oh, this is what that feels like, mm. or oh, this person has hip dysplasia which is just you know malalignment of your right. hip points but now I can really see it in someone and see it in someone who's a runner which uh. is interesting because I for anyone out there that maybe has seen a PT and you go through certain tests and they tell you oh your knee collapses in when you do this this is why this happens right. well in someone with like hip dysplasia because their hips are in a poor alignment sometimes a little bit of that like knee falling in, is not a bad thing because uh, of the alignment of their hips. So to answer your question, it once you're seeing all those things in person and and connecting it with what you know about the human body and how it has to move right. in relation to each other um, is really interesting and makes like like your mind just blows. right person
0: yeah Yeah, because i mean i guess everybody's case is different too and so you can only do so many case studies until you're like hey well this you know this is this unique situation um kind of uh follow-up after that uh i i guess is what are some tips and guides you offer to patients to avoid injuries so um i guess this might be a blanket statement overall first so not necessarily to recoup or recover from one specific type of injury, but to avoid a higher risk of injury. Is there any sort of tips and guides that you have just from uh, you know working with tons of runners?
1: Yeah, uh, and the first thing I usually say to people is um, as much as we try to avoid injury, don't be afraid of it. Mm. Because if you're going to be active, if you're going to participate in running and sport, be out on the trails, you're going to get injured, sure. right? Like your foot's going to find that rock. Like you're going to trip and fall. Sure. are going to land funny. Um, we all go through things in our life that cause stress. Mm-hmm. Like, right, like right now. <laughs> <point> right now.
2: <laughs> right. Um, totally. You
1: know, and, and stress manifests in so many ways in our body with tight musculature or how we carry our posture or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so I really try to tell people, you know what, It the injuries happen. It's something Mm -hmm. that you can't avoid, kind of like aging. Like you just can't avoid getting older, but you can do things to make those things, you know, less severe to be healthier Mm -hmm. through them. Right. So um, when we talk about injury prevention or when I talk about injury prevention, Mm -hmm. would you like to tell people, um, you know, the certain exercises, the certain mobility things you can do is just so that if injury happens, it's less severe, Mm. Um, right? right? And that you can kind of understand where that injury's coming from maybe necessarily, and you can recognize it faster, get at it harder and get back to training. Right. 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 Um, So that's usually what I started off saying, because the more you're afraid of it, I think also creates more trouble
2: down the road.
0: Right. And do do you feel like there's maybe a certain amount of, uh, ignorance that healthy runners have until they get hurt? And do you feel like that's something that like people, they maybe don't keep in mind, like speaking from, you know, my own personal experience until I get hurt, I think that I can do whatever. And then all of a sudden it seems like I can't do anything. Do you feel like that's kind of a normal occurrence of, uh, people maybe not again, like, like you said, practicing um yeah maybe stretching mobility or certain exercises and stuff like that while they're healthy that's not really a consideration in their mind
1: yeah and that's a good point because i i would say that is true and i would say that's true for myself <laughs> i mean right like we, right. we go day to day and there's there's so many things you have to think about in a day right so if i'm not injured if i'm feeling fine and things are going well mm-hmm. i'm maybe less likely to like okay well i should, didn't keep up with my glute exercises and my all those things, uh, which I'll do, but probably not as much as I should to mm-hmm. avoid injury and stay healthy. And um, it's kind of the it's kind of the same thing with a lot of things in life. Like you, you don't think you have to do it because you don't think it's going to happen to you.
3: Sure, sure. And totally. then
1: it, and then it and then it does, and then it almost seems more devastating because when it does, it's like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm here now. What do I do?
0: Exactly. Well, you, you you mentioned briefly there. This segues into the last part of this topic. For yourself, like I mentioned, for myself too, I if I'm not hurt, I'm you know maybe going to avoid doing some clamshells or doing some mobility and stuff. For your own athletics and your own physical activity, what do you do? Are there any specific maybe one or two or three exercises or things that you keep in mind for yourself? Just to give kind of a concrete example for people.
1: Yeah. So, and I guess I didn't really answer the question before that about what, what do people do to avoid injury? Like, yes, don't be afraid of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, So what I tell patients and then also what I do with my, for myself, um, for myself specifically, like I'm always trying to work on glute strength because Mm -hmm. as stereotypical as it is, and as much as you hate hearing it, it is so important Mm -hmm. because the rest of our lives is just, like sitting on our butt, not using our butt, right? right. We have like, two,
2: right yeah. like right now. Like right
1: <laughs> now. Right now. Uh-huh. And for eight hours a day sometimes, and then I come home and I watch Netflix and right. I'm not using my butt. So
2: right.
1: um, so yeah, I, try, I do those things at least two or three times a week. And, you know, it's it's more important to do those things than to try to squeeze in one extra mile in a day, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you don't have a ton of time before work, and you're trying to squeeze in your workout before work, instead of running six miles, run five and save some time for some glute stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that and then mobility.
2: Mm.
0: And what do you, what do you mean by mobility? Because I guess that's a term that people you know maybe on a group and be like oh i'm doing so much more mobility and i feel great but people have different definitions for that so how does the pt define mobility
1: yeah great question so pts usually define mobility both muscularly and within the joint mm-hmm. so having muscle flexibility for one right so we all talk about having hip flexors tight hip flexors we gotta stretch those hip flexors right. and i actually um to piggyback to off of another, uh, webinar that you had with Malcolm mm-hmm. yes. was from Minnesota. Yes. Um, yeah. And he was talking about stretching the psoas and I completely agree. Like mm-hmm. when you need mobility, you need to make sure that the muscle is flex enough and has mobility. Mm-hmm. And then, um, two, that also creates more mobility at the joint, right? Because mm-hmm. our hip needs to rotate so many degrees. Our hip needs to extend so far. Uh, in running, um, your ankle needs to be able to bend right. um, up and down. Um, so having mobility both within the muscle and within the joint mm. um, is super important. And a lot of a lot of movement specialists learn this in school. Whether you're a PT, chiropractor, personal trainer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you learn this continuum of mobility, stability, motor control. Mm. And so those pieces have to be in existence for you to do these high level things so and the first thing is mobility you have to be able to move your muscles and the and your joints in the degrees of freedom that they need to move right and then once you have that movement you need to be able to stabilize
0: it Mm. okay Is, is that how you usually build like a program for somebody that's either been injured could you maybe talk through what just kind of key factors you look for for each of those different points
1: yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking about knee injury per se, since that's the most common, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times, you know, the program will look like the hip flexor stretch mm-hmm. that like, right. Cause we have to create mobility within the quad and the hip flexor, which goes mm-hmm. over your kneecap, right. um, and, uh, mobility at the hip. Um, also, you know, calf stretching, right. Mm-hmm. Creating mobility at the ankle. Cause if you have a stiff ankle and you have a stiff hip, Like I said, it's all going to go to the knee. Like what else in your body is going to take up that ground reaction force? Right. So so the program is going to, you know, kind of start with some of those things, getting more mobility in those uh, joints that are above and below the knee.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then usually what we find, too, is that glute weakness. So Mm -hmm. glute helps support everything down the chain. Mm -hmm. So which is where the stability piece comes in right you create mobility with these stretches Mm -hmm. and then you add in some core and glute strengthening per se because you want to stabilize it all right as soon as as you're like running is essentially a series of little mini squats right one and so when you land and you're loading that leg with all that ground reaction force you have to be able to stabilize that knee Mm. if it's if it's wavering in and out and you when you go to a PT or whoever, they'll make you do a one-legged squat or something and they'll say, like, well, your knee's collapsing in or it looks all wobbly. Right. Because it's not stable because right. of the glutes or your and your core up the chain. So um, so that's where that that's why that stabilization is so important.
0: Totally, totally. So
1: so yes, the program will look like you know, you have all these stretches, you have your glute work, you have your core exercises. Um and then once those things are working together as a team, now let's put it into something more fancy, right? So now you're doing like plyometric kind of stuff. So lots of right. jumping stuff, more squatting, um, more like lunging in multiple directions mm-hmm. and adding weight to it, doing it on like an, a stability board where yeah. you're not on the ground, which right. is even more important for like trail runners when you're on the trails. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that answers your question.
0: That's yeah, of- absolutely. It's, well, it's, it, I, I think it's just good to get talking down the certain rabbit hole, right? Because this is something we could talk about this specific subject probably for three hours, but people <laughs> want to hear um, a little bit more. We do have questions um, that, have, that have come in, uh, three or four questions we can talk to uh, talk about right now. Uh, Anthony asks first, uh, any exercises or adjustments I should make for a chronic right psoas strain? I've been to a PT several times without relief. I've tried strengthening, stretching, release, which was so painful. And I even bought a different car because I drive a lot thinking my posture was resulting in chronic pain. I was also attempting changing shoe drop without improvement. I took a break during quarantine and it actually got worse without exercise. I'm just at a loss. So um, I feel like that's definitely something that uh, people can relate to right now too. If you're going through an injury struggle and then going through this specific time of being more cooped up, having a chronic kind of injury like that um, definitely can be, uh, you know, def- definitely can affect you more too. But uh, the leading part of the question, any exercises or adjustments that you as a PT might be able to recommend for a chronic right as strain?
1: Yeah, and um, that's a great question. I actually have a patient right now with something very similar to that. Um, and you, it's interesting, I think a lot of runners have some of the same um, dysfunction, right? Like we all have weak glutes, like I said, we all have weak glutes, we all have limited hip range of motion, um, we all sit all day, blah, blah. So, um, but it manifests in people in different ways just depending on the person. So for a chronic uh, psoas strain, I'm not, you know, I'd have to ask you, ask Anthony, I'd have to ask you a lot of questions and kind of see how you move, but kind of where my mind goes is with those like hip flexor strains when you're running or maybe if you're doing other exercises that you're trying to do, sometimes it's because the hip flexor is too short from sitting all day um, and it's really tight, but then you're also asking it to do, a lot of work because nothing else is helping it out. Right. So so the the psoas is meant to do hip flexion, which happens with running, right? You're always driving your knee up. And when you sprint or you're going uphill, you have to drive that knee up harder. Right. So if the hip flexor short and now you're asking it to do all the work, it's gonna get strained. And so I think a lot of the exercises then boil down to that to that um, like motor control priests of, of the core, right? We need to look more at your core. Is your, is your core helping you stabilize your pelvis and helping you with that hip flexion? The core is so important, and most of the actions that happen in our body within our extremities should be generated from the core, right? So, so activating that core and then generating the force out from our body from that. So So exercises that I would prescribe for you would probably be more glute focused and then also like core focused Um, and just kind of working. I'm trying to think of a specific exercise that maybe you would know, Um, like dead bug when you're on your back. A lot of people do dead bugs, Um, even leg lifts, like just little mini leg lifts with your knee bent. And with your knee bent, you can focus more on taking the psoas out of it and as you lower down and back up, making that movement come from your core. Um, Depending on the amount of strain that's going on in your hip, research has shown that isometric exercises are actually more beneficial to um, like you know, strain or tendonitis injury. So it could just be in like that reverse tabletop position, you curl up and you're isometrically kind of pushing your hand into your knee into that hip flexion, Mm -hmm. holding that for, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, just those isometrics to help to help calm down um, the strain. Because anytime you put a strained muscle through a full range of motion, it's just gonna get more strained. Right. Um, but if you reduce the range of motion it's going through and you just add pressure isometrically, mm-hmm. you're able to get blood flow there, you're able to help it heal, you're able you know, to kind of reduce that strain um, while not making it worse.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think great, great answer. And then also, um, before we leave today, uh, I definitely love for you to plug, um, you know, your site and your contact and stuff. So if people do have specific uh, questions, too, that they can definitely contact you if they're watching us after the fact, too. Um, Second question we have here is from Philip. And Philip says, I transitioned between road and treadmill running can I do anything specific to help train my body to cope with the different impact both surfaces have and to transition easier between the two? So this actually could have been a great topic. Uh, Philip. you should have sent this in before, because then we could have done a whole section on this. Um, but I think this is definitely relevant, especially now as we, um, you know, at least in the Northern hemisphere head from more winter snowy conditions, especially here in Boulder to now, you know, the trails or outdoor running is uh, easier to get to. So, specific things to help train your body with the transition from treadmill to outdoor?
1: Yeah, that I, I was just talking to my roommate about this because he's training for his first marathon um, and d- was doing only treadmill running. And at first I told him, if you can mentally train on a treadmill and he was doing up to like 12 or 13 miles, I was like, you can do a marathon. Whew. Because treadmills, oh my gosh. Um, but no, I, that's such a great question. And it's such a legitimate thing to think about. And I'm glad that you are already thinking about like, oh, there could be some risk of injury here. I think that's great insight that you have. Um, and usually what I tell people is that there is a little bit for your body to get used to, both in the amount of force that's going through your body um, and your mechanics. So, when you tr- so let's say you're doing you're really mostly training on the treadmill and you're doing maybe, I don't know, 30 to 40 miles a week, just on a treadmill. I would not do 30, mi- 30 to 40 miles a week in your first one to two weeks of road running. Um, just cause that's a lot. The force is going to be probably a lot more depending on the surface that you're running. If you're doing a lot of pavement, that's just going to be a lot different to your body. So, you know, take it down mileage wise. Um, and, and, intensity wise a little bit too. I think your focus should be for those first few runs, cadence and form, right? So kind of taking things down to an easier pace, making sure that you're striking underneath your base of support, you're maintaining a safe cadence for you. Um, and doing that for a few runs to get your body used to that new, um, amount of impact, um, is usually what I tell people. And then, um, see how your body feels you know do one or two days of road running check in you know um am i feeling any pain or soreness anywhere are things you know feeling differently um you know take back your long runs a little bit if you were doing 10 to 12 miles on the treadmill don't make next weekend's long run 10 to 12 miles maybe just make it 6 to 8 just see and just see how your your body feels your body will tell you if it's not ready yet it really it really will and i know that sounds like so stereotypical, but it really will tell you. Um, So if that, I I hope that answers your question. I I think the main things to focus on would just be keeping that safe cadence um, and striking underneath you um, and taking mileage down, you know, at least five to 10 miles for the week um, in those first one to two weeks of transition.
0: Yeah, um, I have a follow up on that actually. Do you recommend specifically people if they're coming back from an injury? Do you recommend they stick to a treadmill if it's convenient for them to just practice, like you said, good biomechanics, good form, good cadence? Um, or do you encourage people to kind of vary between the two? Is there anything helpful that you see from the PT side to help people come back from an injury?
1: Yeah, so I think um I think starting off with treadmill running is is really helpful for people. And it depends. It depends on the injury and how long they've been dealing with injury, of course. But um, I think treadmill is really, really helpful because you can focus on those things more. Hmm. um, Or it's easier, right? Because there's not the components of hills. There's not the components of wind. Um, I was helping someone transition from a stress fracture over the winter. Hmm. And I told her, you know, if there's any amount of ice or snow, it's it's really going to change your mechanics. It can make things worse. So it's just easier to control all those factors with a treadmill. So if you're worried about all those things and depending on your injury, yeah, treadmills, treadmills are great. I wouldn't go crazy, obviously, Um, but yeah, no, I think doing some, some stuff on a treadmill is great. There are some places out there that have those like Ultra G treadmills, which can be really good for returning back to running um, and easing your body into that uh, force uptake. Um, So going that, that route to, um, and if there's like flat, you know, not too intense trails, I mean, mm-hmm. trails are also easier on the joints and on the body. So you could also start with just doing some stuff on some easy trails, um, which I think is nicer and more pretty than.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah,
0: <bias. laughs> totally, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, one last question here before we move to the set topic and we've got, uh, a, yeah, a great number of questions that have come in as well, but, uh, I want to get to this one. Uh, this is from better with in, am I pronouncing it correct? Fix F or P H Y X. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Cheshin is a fabulous physical therapist and always addresses the whole person. That's why we love having her being part of our community, excited to hear what she has to say to keep us running strong. Could you just tell us? Because uh, I, I feel like there's a little. Uh, I, I feel like you you already know uh, who who the question's coming from. Could you tell us just briefly uh, who the question's coming from?
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Thank you. Better with Fix. So I'm so excited. I'm so glad I get to talk about this. So Fix is the platform that I work uh, work under. Work with. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what. Term to use, but um, for anyone out there and all the runners that are listening, or whoever's listening out there, mm-hmm. should really check into this. So Fix is this new platform for physical therapists that's out there. That um, for myself, I'm on Fix as a way to um, allow people to find me in my yeah. area. So if if you're someone that needs to find a physical therapist, if you're on the patient aspect of things and you need to find a physical therapist, it's essentially like Airbnb, right? Uh- you go on there, you look for your locations, so you can go, you can look for Boulder mm-hmm. and right now it's in Colorado, it's in Wisconsin. And I think there's gonna be some new location soon with some more physical therapists, but mm-hmm. you go on, you find your location and then you can shop for a physical therapist that's right for you
2: uh,
1: um, and it's amazing. I really hope that healthcare transitions into this for all aspects
2: sure.
1: because it really should be, it really should be that way. Mm-hmm. And You find someone that works for you, You can schedule with that person on them. You can see all of their prices so you don't get a bill later in the mail, right? Like, I'll help right now is. Um, And then, on the physical therapist side, you know, if you're looking to kind of start your business, like I did a a while ago, Mm -hmm. it's a great way for physical therapists to get started and have this Mm -hmm. like safe platform. Mm -hmm. Patients know that. It's legitimate. It's safe. Everyone on there is an, is a great practitioner and is licensed mm. and whatever. Um, and it takes care of all the administrative stuff. So I don't need like a front desk person.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Right. It takes really? care of all that for me, which is so amazing. And I appreciate it so much. Um, and if there's anyone on this talk from Wisconsin, uh, that was that comment was made by Dr. Hannah Sutter Dr. Hannah Um, and she is an amazing practitioner. I go to her a lot with questions um, that I have, and we go back and forth about patient cases. She is amazing. She's also a runner. She's training for her first half Ironman right now. Um, so thank you for saying that. But it's it's awesome. It's an I can't say it, enough about it. And if anyone's looking for a PT, I think that's the way to go versus mm-hmm. going to Google and trying to find somebody.
0: Sure, and just trying to guess around and everything too. So it seems like there's like a tight knit community um, you know, on, on on the PT side, which is a, a very good thing. I think it's probably reassuring yeah. for, for people.
2: Could be. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I want to give this as a reminder, anybody listening right now, if you do have any questions, please feel free to send them along. We're going to dive into our second topic here and then get back to the questions. Um, Second topic. Uh, this can be relatively brief, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts on how to focus on using this particular downtime to your advantage. But knowing that this downtime is kind of like a forced downtime, maybe you can give some tips for people that are, you know, taking a break in the future to add maybe to their running rep- repertoire or you know the exercises that they do. Um, are there any helpful piece of advice you can give someone? who is currently not training for a race to help them improve their running. So this is purposely broad. Um just anything that you might be able to encourage people to do from the PT side who aren't focusing specifically on training uh super hard for a race right now.
1: Yes, and it's so it's so exciting to see that that people are kind of embracing that downtime, which I think initially is is hard. It, it was hard for me cuz I was training for a marathon, and it got canceled, and so it was really hard to transition. Um, but I'm glad that people are starting to see the benefits of the downtime, and really, I mean, running's a sport, and all sports have a cycle of seasons. You have your off season, you have your preseason, you have your competitive season, and so this time can be kind of looked as that, you know, off preseason. Um, and I think, I think what's really important. Um, for one, is I like to tell people, you know what? If you've never gone, um, and this can be done, this can be done virtually, so via telehealth. But if you've never gone to a physical therapist or another provider who can do a movement screening, there is so much benefit to doing that. It's it's essentially like going to your primary doctor once a year to make sure you know the car is tuned up and running like it should, right? So so go to a physical therapist, go to someone that knows how to do a functional movement screen and just see where your imbalances are, right? Like maybe, maybe you didn't know that this hip is rotated differently or, or this ankle has less mobility than the other one, um, or this glute's weaker, whatever. Um, but these screenings can tell you that, and then you can get a specialized, mobility, stability, strengthening program that's for you and can help you with your running when you do ramp up training again.
0: Um, could you tell us a little bit more specifically what that type of screening might look like? Uh, maybe just give a little bit of information, like what you might do for somebody who's contacting you for maybe let's say specifically telehealth. Um, what would you generally take somebody through for that screening?
1: yeah, so and it's gonna look different depending on what physical therapist you go to or whatever provider you go to. But a lot of providers will use um, it's called a functional movement screen, so an FMS or the SFMA um, those fancy acronyms. but really what it's com- it's and it's compiled of whole body movement. So I like to take a lot of people through a squat because a squat tells you a lot both. Um, on two legs and on one leg. So I make people do both. Um, you can see hip mobility, ankle mobility, um, even like shoulders, back. Uh, you can see glute engagement. You can see the knee collapsing in and out all that kind of funky stuff. So um, I take people through both of those things. Uh, I do a balance assessment, one-legged balance. Um, just to see where uh, where that's at, both with your eyes open and eyes closed, because when you close your eyes, your proprioception and all that sensory information becomes more apparent. So doing things like that. Um, I also make all my runners do um, one-legged uh, heel raises. So kind of that plantar flexion or the calf strength, calf strength side to side, and then one-legged hops, both stationary and like multiple across the distance for Power and propulsion. Um, so, looking at things like that. Um, and then uh, just various, like, kind of mobility stuff. So, a straight leg raise, so laying on your back, lifting your leg up, seeing hamstring flexibility, seeing what your back does, seeing if you can engage your core for stuff like that. Um, if there's any discrepancy in, like, hip rotation, which some runners have. Um, and then also like a hip flexor mobility test. So it's called like a Thomas test or something similar to that. Um, and then in those, in those broad kind of movement screenings, there's also ones for, um, like shoulder mobility, neck mobility, which can give someone the kind of full piece of their overall mobility. When I have a runner in or in like with a very specific injury, I may not take them through like, well, what does your neck range of motion like? I don't really care (laughs) or it's just not that I don't care, but it's just not the important piece at that point. Um, And so that's what I take my people through and kind of take little bits and pieces from the different movement screenings that I've been trained in. Um but it it will look different depending on what person you go to.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great recommendation and like you said now is probably a good time if there are telehealth options available or in the near future if people are able to interact with PTs again in person that's probably something that um if somebody's never done that taking advantage uh, and maybe not having that excuse of oh I'm training hard I can't make time to go see a PT even though I I you know I was listening to the stride for the love running webinar series and Sarah told me to so um, cool I think that covers it for for that subject I want to get back to a couple of these questions to make sure we don't leave any hanging Um, Patrick asks is it beneficial to train a lot on trails and less uneven surfaces instead of always on the road and so um, I think maybe being here in Boulder we have advantage to having a lot of road but also a lot of trails so having that sort of mix there but Um, maybe from your point of view, is there a benefit to training on trails versus just the road all the time?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think it boils down usually to what your goals are and what you're training for, right? So if you you are training for a one-mile race, like as fast, all-out effort as you can, I wouldn't necessarily tell you to go twice a week or three times a week on the trail. It's just not specific to what your goals are, right? Like I'm gonna, I would say, get on the track, you get on the road, do those sprints. It's it's easier and safer to do those on road than it would be on the trail. Um, however, I do think that regardless of, of um, you know if you're doing a marathon on the road, you know some trail running can actually be really great. You get a lot more elevation change. So you get to work on power. Um, you right. You got those hill repeat workouts. Those are those are great. And why not why not do them on the trail? Um, that said, depending on the trail, I wouldn't pick something super technical. Does have a little bit of a m- more risk for injury, and you can't be as fast and work on speed as much as you would like or probably need to. Um, I think that with road running, especially if you are someone that's trying to focus on um, increasing your power, increasing your your speed and all of all of those things it's a lot easier to do that on the road versus when you get on the trail and now you're having to kind of slow down because of all the technicality um you know and depending on how new you are to trail running there's some learning in that involved but um but sometimes i do tell my runners who are training for a road race, if they want to do one of their easy runs on the trail, it's easier on your joints. Mentally, it can be nicer. It's a change. It's a change. We all know there's a mental aspect of training. There's a huge mental aspect of training. And so if you're tired of the routes around your house, which don't get me started, I hate running around my house anymore right now, but you should be safe right now. Anyway, uh, change it up go go find a nice a nice easy trail um get into the mountains go like power hiking up is such great training for you know glute muscles for power um it's a little easier on the body if you're trying to decrease your effort for one of your workout days um but i think that's a great question and i think that doing either for both sports so if you're training for an ultra marathon on the trail you could also change it up, do an easier run, or do a track workout to work on power and speed too. And then you can take that to the trails.
0: Totally. I think one of the best things I did for my training last year, as we headed into the spring, I had a nice nine mile loop where I could run to Chautauqua, run the Mesa trail to Ncar, and then run back down into town and everything. So like, yeah. I think the biggest benefit there is what exactly what you talked about, the mental benefit, just. Yeah getting out there, not necessarily just running down a bike path or something. Um, Question here from Tyler is, I'm trying to stay positive through an overuse hamstring injury, and I'm on a 12-week program to heal it. Do you have any tips specifically for hamstrings? I've heard standing hamstring curls aren't that functional. And this question's from Tyler.
1: Uh, Tyler, I love that your brain is going to functional. I love that. As, as much as we need to do some of those like weird exercises, like hamstring curls or whatever, at the end of the day, we, you need to get them to be functional as soon as you can. Um, so depending on where you are in your injury and your rehab, um, is, you know, where those, those things change or become different, but, um, you know, for hamstring thing and if it's if it's really severe and really acted up, I mean, I think I had said this before, when you're taking that strain through its full range of motion, it actually might be making it worse. So doing a hamstring curl like that might actually not be helpful, you know, versus engaging your hamstrings with bridges, right? Like laying on your back, bridging up and down, bridging on one leg, putting your legs on a physio ball and doing curls like that or doing bridges like that, Um to To strengthen it that way, I think standing hamstring curls. You could argue if that's functional, really, depending if you're a sprinter or not. I mean, that would be functional more so for a sprinter. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's a really good question. I would love to ask you more things. I could get a better idea of of your specific injury, but um, again, to when we have a hamstring injury the exercises that you're going to do or the way you get through that is not just attention to the hamstring. So it's stretching your hip flexors. It's doing a lot of glute work, right? Because you're trying to take strain off of the hamstring. I'm guessing the hamstring got injured because it was trying to do all the work and glutes weren't helping. Your core wasn't stabilizing your pelvis. Maybe you couldn't get full extension in your hip. So you were compensating with other strategies. Athletes, are the smartest humans, so you are going to get the job done. How you can get the job done, and uh, you'll compensate however you need to to do that. And there's small compensations for for all of you amazing athletes out there. There, there are things that to the naked eye like don't look abnormal, right? But then when you start breaking it down, there's all these compensations that are happening, and usually the injury or the pain is the compensation not what's actually at fault, not not the like, oh, well, it's from your lack of hip mobility. It's from your ankles being stiff or whatever, right? It showed up in your hamstring, but your exercises should look at all those other things that are going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We do have another question similarly related, uh, and I'd like to get your thought on this, maybe how it differs. Uh, John says, I'm training for a marathon and presently doing 80 kilometers a week. So about um, 50 miles per week or so. Uh, I hurt my ankle and took a week off and I'm wondering how fast I can get back. Do I need to very slowly ramp it up? I ran a 10 K today. Okay. So, um, maybe the question I'd ask along with this too, is, uh, we were just talking about hamstring injuries, or we can talk about glute injuries, but those specific sort of, uh, maybe lower, very lower, leg like tendon injuries. How do those differ in terms of recuperating from that stuff? Because, um, you know, I've heard just from other friends of if you roll your ankle, let's just say like on a curb and then, you know, three days later, while it's still kind of sore, you roll it again. Like you've just hurt your chances at making a comeback because things are still trying to fall back in place. Could you maybe talk a little bit about those sort of differences between specifically like very lower leg versus the other muscle types of injuries?
1: Like specifically in, like. Sure. Versus yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. An- an- ankle stuff versus maybe hamstring stuff like you were just talking about, too
1: yeah and I think it depends too. I think that gets into like acute versus chronic, like in it right like a ankle sprain is very acute, and so your return to running is gonna look a lot different. You're probably gonna return a lot quicker I'm, well, depending on how badly you sprained your ankle <laughs> I should say um but you know those acute things it it you'll get through it a lot faster, especially if you are disciplined and able to like take the time off and kind of pay attention to it, ice it, whatever um, versus the hamstring thing. And, and a lot of programs that are out there for like those tendinopathy kind of things. So hamstring, maybe patellar tendinitis, IT band stuff, whatever it may be, um, is, is that really like painful, slow return? So, so, and really paying attention to your pain. So, you know, maybe you're kind of doing walk runs at first, you know, run for two minutes, walk a minute and staying within a range that is pain free. Because those, those tenderness injuries can, can really get angered pretty easily. And if you anger the beast, he's going to yell at you for a few days. So, um, so really just taking it down to that. And it's rare that I tell someone, depending on the injury, that you need to not run and don't do anything for days, right? Like that's also not great. And what more research is showing is actually for like those hamstring injuries, Running is part of the rehab, like getting blood flow there, using that muscle. Obviously, keeping it within a, a safe range of motion. So, like you're you're really not going very fast. You're kind of keeping it in a safe cadence. Um, you're maybe doing more of those walk runs. Is part of the rehab. Like you want to load the tissue so that it heals. Um, which hopefully that makes sense. But um, you know, so so I think. Um, comparing the two with like those tendinous injuries, if that makes sense, that you're having to kind of take that step back and doing more walk runs, listening to pain, um, maybe taking days off in between. If you roll your ankle and maybe the the day you rolled your ankle, it you know, gave you some issues, it got stiff, it was painful, um, you know, look at swelling, things like that, because then you would wanna take some more days off too. But But then as you return to running, and I guess this is true for everything, add in that strengthening piece too. You know, take down your miles and add in more strength stuff. Make sure things are stable, make sure that when you go back, it can tolerate it um, and those things. Hopefully that answers the question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanna touch on one question here before we do our last topic, then we'll jump back to the questions. These questions are great. And this is usually my favorite part too, right? We can think of certain things that we'd like to discuss, but then, everybody in their unique situation always has great questions. So, um, Um, Johan asks, what do you think about foam roller exercises? Is it good to prevent injuries? Which exercises do you recommend?
1: Ooh, I love foam roller questions. Uh, yes, I think foam rollers are great. I think, um, you know, for certain things. So I give foam, foam rolling a lot to people and it's a great maintenance tool. Foam rolling won't always get as deep as it needs to, right? A lot of the times we have these like deep trigger points, deep muscle knots that I'm sorry, you could sit on a foam roller all day and it's not going to get that deep. Um, Which is also why I tell people, you know, runners and the high level athletes, like you also in your repertoire of training, regular body work, like just go get a massage, um, you know, once a month, once, you know, however often, um, because foam rolling and all that won't do it. Oh, sorry. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, to get back to the question. Um, but foam rolling stuff that I do give to runners and athletes, you know, is it's a great way to warm up your muscles, right? Like you're getting more blood flow there. Um, you are, uh, kind of, getting the heat to the muscle, so it's allowing that flexibility to come um which will again contribute to joint flexibility and all that um so i like to use it as a warm-up it's also a nice way to like cool down muscles too if you feel like a run was too hard and it was really stiff just um cooling down um uh and uh, mostly to like your quads and hip flexors, hamstrings, like hit all the lower body, right? Like get your calves, calves is a big one for getting more ankle mobility for your runs. Um, but it's not something that I like like to tell people to rely on if that ends.
0: Totally, yeah. Um, I wanna get your take on this last topic we had here and then touch on any of the other questions. That we had so the third topic was how to return back to a set training volume so i feel like this could be specifically something you can talk about um, from the side of recommending somebody to normally return from an injury but then also if somebody doesn't necessarily have that history of injury as they're trying to increase and ramp back up towards a maybe late fall racing season next spring racing season how would you suggest people uh, ramp up or things that they can keep in mind as they do increase that intensity over time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's a good question. So um, it depends. Don't you love that? It depends. (laughs) I feel like I keep saying that, but it's true. It depends on the person. It depends on how many miles you were running before, how many you're running now. Um, Some people are not really reducing their mileage that much at this time, or it's not, it's not really something that um, is significant, like there's not a significant difference. Um, so, but the first thing I like to tell people is the whole 10% rule thing. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. Um, it's a it's a conservative route for most people, but if you're a seasoned runner and you, let's say normally are running like 80 miles a week, you've dropped down to maybe 40 or 50, that's like, you know, that's your reduction right now. Um, I don't think you like if you ran 40 miles, the next week you and run 44. Your body could probably tolerate a little bit more than that as you ramp up. But I think a good rule of thumb is to give yourself two or three weeks of safely ramping up. So, you know, maybe adding in one or two miles to daily runs, maybe one to two miles in a long run. Um, you know, nothing more. I wouldn't say nothing more than 10 miles at a time. That's probably a lot. But give yourself two or three weeks to ramp up at at a distance. So let's say um, let's say your long runs were right now they're like eight to ten. Okay. So as you ramp up, um, maybe your your next two or three weeks is going to be somewhere like twelve as an average, like you know ten to thirteen. Spend two to three weeks, probably three weeks, at that mileage. Make sure your body feels comfortable with it. Take a week off take a week reduce it, let your body recover your body imp- your body improves both with strength and endurance and whatever in recovery right that's why recovery is so important um uh, take that week off and then once you once you go back to your three weeks then increase it you know a few miles So now your long runs can look somewhere between you know 12 to 15 or what have you um, and then spend two or three weeks at that right? I usually like to stay a little bit more conservative. And if you are going to ramp up and you have a marathon in like four months, um, or yes, sorry, marathon and like use that time to to slowly ramp up. So you have all this time that to have your body get used to that amount of mileage, right? And then make sure that there's recovery weeks still built in there. Um, versus going from zero to a
0: hundred. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, Zero to 100, not very fun. It's more fun when you stagger things a little bit and you get to enjoy it along the way. Um, We have three more questions that people asked, but before we do that, uh, I would like to ask you just to quickly talk about Boulder sports physiotherapy, and then also telehealth options that uh, you found yourself um, embracing a little bit more in the current times
1: yeah definitely um and sorry my computer needed to be charged so. oh
0: that's okay Totally fine. <laughs>
1: um so well thanks for asking about boulder sports physiotherapy so that's um my physical therapy practice that i just opened up about a year ago mm-hmm. um and it's in boulder and i'm so glad i went that route i think a lot of physical therapists are actually going that route because um just all of the burdens of insurance and mm-hmm. how the typical medical field works um but it's in Boulder, It's right in the heart of Boulder, right behind uh, Whole Foods, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there I have uh, my own treatment room. And then um, it also has a big wide open gym, which mm-hmm. I love and is so needed. I, I was in a space that I also loved, but the gym just wasn't um, big enough. and didn't have enough materials for me to really work with my clients. Sure. So I found this space that has a bigger gym. Um And so I can really work on movement. I can work on strength and all the functional stuff as it relates to running and sport and blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. But right now, with coronavirus, and obviously this differs depending on what state you're in, um, Colorado, Mm -hmm. right now, we were all able to go back to the clinic as of last week. So I am allowed Mm -hmm. to see uh, people in person um, Mm -hmm. with the precautions in place. So wearing masks, taking temperatures, all that fun stuff. But for telehealth options, they're all also still telehealth options available and i have grown to love telehealth more than i thought i would mm. um because i'm such a manual heavy therapist i think mm. that there's such a value in getting your hands on a person right. you know reducing that that tension you know with your hands or working on joint mobility with your hands i think that that is so important mm-hmm. uh, so at first i was very angry about telehealth because <laughs> <laughs> but Um, I think there's so much value and I think it's something I'm going to continue to use um, even after this is all over because even if you know for a lot a lot of athletes like you don't need to always come in to go over your exercises like right you can you can check in via video like hey you know I was doing some of these things and actually you know started to bother my hip or I'm not sure if I'm doing this right can you make sure I'm doing this right Mm -hmm. Um, so a good way to do that is is via telehealth and mm-hmm. over video or just phone conference. Um, and it's using something as easy as zoom, which they've done a great job making zoom, um, HIPAA compliant. So it's safe people uh, Um, so we're able to use that, which is, which is awesome. Um, and, and something like you can do for movement screenings. Like I'll just take your test. I can watch you move. I can give you feedback and set up a program that's so specific for you based on how mm-hmm. you move.
0: Awesome. Great. Yeah, Uh, I want to touch on these last three questions really quick, uh, and then we'll let you go. Um, First uh, question here is, in your opinion, how many times per week, or how many minutes per week should someone focus on mobility and strength? Oftentimes, it's difficult to complete 30 minutes of mobility, 30 minutes of strength post one hour run. So you mentioned this very briefly. Um, at the beginning, I think about maybe sacrificing one mile of your run, if you could add a little bit, but uh, in your opinion, how many times per week, or how many minutes should somebody focus on mobility and strength?
1: Yeah, good question. And, and again, you know, if you're someone after that movement screen, if you are really lacking in something, I'm probably going to prescribe that you do it you front load it and do more minutes or more frequency now to mm-hmm. get it. But a good a good maintenance that I like to give people who um, are not injured or just you know just want to maintain that stuff for what they're doing right now. Um, I usually tell people two to three times a week, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know anywhere from fifteen to thirty minutes, whatever you have time for. At the end of the day, if as long as you do something
3: mm-hmm. better than nothing. Right.
1: Really the research shows that um, taking a muscle through some stretching and you hold it for at least a minute, you do that three times or three to four times, I would say. Sure. Um, on each side. So let's take a hip flexor stretch. Mm-hmm. Right? Hold it for a minute. Take a break. Hold it for a minute. Take a break. Hold it for a minute. Take a break.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's three minutes on one leg. Do that on both sides. That's six minutes okay if you can if you can just do that so anywhere from five to ten minutes of just that in a day that's great right mm-hmm. like life happens we have so much going on in life i i can't all and i'm guilty of it too I, i go <laughs> a day and i'm like oh crap i didn't do my hip flexor stretches and my glute right. Crap. right so you know um and find a time of day where it where it does work it doesn't always have to be before and after a run right right it, Ideally, if you, like I said, if you can just take one mile out, if you if you're crunched for time, mm-hmm. mile out, do some glute glute exercises and mobility before you run. That's a great way to activate those muscles, so right. you might actually go better than maybe you expected. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an awesome time to do it. Same thing for after, depending on what type of run it was. Um, but if the only time you have to do those types of things is at night in front of the TV, great. That's- <laughs> Awesome. That's that's when you do that stuff. Um, And so, yeah, I would say if if you're someone that has a really busy, busy life schedule and you can only fit in like 15 to 30 minutes
3: Mm
1: times a week, that that's still great as as a maintenance program. Um, Yeah. And and then again, too, I guess to be kind of biased towards physical therapy but if you're also again if you're someone that doesn't have time to do it on your own Mm -hmm. then schedule with somebody like Mm -hmm. your physical therapist that's your time that you can use for mobility and strength work right once a week you get that solid hour in and then maybe Mm -hmm. you only have to do one more session on yourself that's by yourself that's 15 to 30 minutes
0: right yeah totally great strategies um tatiana asked what do you think about using barefoot shoes for asphalt running on or for long distances. So any thoughts on barefoot shoes for asphalt running on hard surfaces?
1: Yeah, I feel like that's also another webinar that could-
0: (laughs) Absolutely it would be, absolutely it would be.
1: (laughs) Um, And actually for anyone out there, so um, this is kind of a sidebar and I'm going to get to your question. It's kind of a sidebar. Um, The GoFar Shop in Boulder is doing this speaker series and Friday Mm -hmm. is with um, Brian Metzler. He wrote Kixology about, about shoes. If anyone wants to tune into that, I think that that would be the way to learn more about or to get into more conversation about shoes because I could probably talk about this for another hour. Um, But to get to your question, Tatiana, um, uh, I think there's a lot of research supporting you know the minimalist uh, mm-hmm. barefoot shoe and the more we find out about foot mechanics it's really great to get somebody into one of those sho- one of those shoes i'm not sure if a, if the toe shoes or or those types of shoes is like the perfect thing mm-hmm. um but as far as using it on asphalt or long runs it depends on how on your mechanics on your strength And how long you've been using that type of shoe. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me about shoes, I'm not against like zero drop or minimalist shoes. But if you have been running in something with like not a big toe box and maybe like an eight millimeter drop, I'm not going to put you in a zero drop shoe right
3: away. Sure.
1: Like your body will not handle it. It will not feel great. You will probably get injured. Um, And especially if you transition right away and try to go for a really long run Mm -hmm. um, in them. Um, but if you, if you've been running in those shoes for a long time and you're comfortable with them and your foot can handle it, I think that those are, that that's a great option for you, mm-hmm. um, on asphalt and for long runs, if it's, it's comfortable, I think the foot wants to do all of that work, right? Like shoes sometimes work like a cast and mm-hmm. that your muscles don't get to do all of the work, right? Mm-hmm. The shoe's kind of helping you with the stability. And so if you can tolerate that, um, toe shoe for those long runs, then I think your foot will thank you more and will be stronger um, in that shoe. It's just something to be very careful with, depending on what you've come from or how long you've been using them.
0: Totally. Yeah. Great answer. Uh, Last question here. Is it beneficial to cool legs directly after a workout? For example, in a cold river, maybe let's say you have an ice pack or is it uh, counterproductive? to uh, maybe recovery overall. Do you have any thoughts from the PT side about um, icing or cooling legs
2: after a workout?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And you know what? I've been doing a lot of research in this downtime on um, heat and ice Mm -hmm. therapy because there's there's (laughs) There's a lot out there. And like, I feel the main answer is like, no one really knows, (laughs) Um, but the more I read and the more I try to think about it myself, I'm not sure if ice directly after workouts is actually beneficial for the body, right? Mm -hmm. Like your body goes through an inflammatory process for a reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you have those micro tears in the muscle and they have to rebuild, they have to go through, go through that in order to grow and improve. Right. And so when we like submerge our body and kind of shock it with ice, um, you get that vasoconstriction, that lack of blood flow to the muscle. I'm not sure that the muscles in the body fully recover mm. if you submerge it in, in ice. Mm-hmm. Right? It's also a way for those muscles that have that have this like increased flexibility because of increased temperature mm-hmm. and, and movement and blood flow and all that. And now you're constricting it of all of those things. It could just be a way for all those muscles to stiffen back up,
0: totally. which is
1: also not what we want.
0: Totally. So. Yeah.
1: To answer that question, I'm not sure it's really beneficial or a great thing to do immediately after, Mm -hmm. Um, especially for the whole body and the whole leg. If you feel like you had maybe the onset of an injury and you want to ice it, Mm -hmm. that I could see, but it's just something to just like to just do and. You know, for that reason, I'm not sure there's much benefit, but I am still doing more research on that, so I could give back to you with something different. But sure, uh, reaction just to say I'm not sure that that's really good for the
2: body for the long.
0: Absolutely, Um, I want to leave off on this note. If anybody else watching either now has more questions, or anybody watching or listening after the fact, where can they contact you and find out more about you and Boulder Sports Physiotherapy?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for asking that. Um, and I guess, I don't know if it's helpful to put it in the chat. Uh,
0: um, I think producer Gus uh, will put it there and then I'll put it in the show notes on the podcast and I'll also put it in the description on the YouTube video for after the fact as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. So you can find you can find me on Fix, uh, which we mm-hmm. talked about before. So if you go with to better, uh, betterwithfix.com uh, mm-hmm. in Boulder, Colorado, uh, you'll find me mm-hmm. and that's how you can schedule with me. That's how you can go to my website. Um, And find out more about me. But if you just go to bouldersportsphysio.com, that's my website. Um, And again, there you can contact me. Um, You can read all about my services and what I offer in Boulder. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go to my Facebook and Instagram and I post like little dumb videos on there and stuff for runners. Mm I have a blog that's also on my website. Um so you can look at my blog and I try to write things that pertain mostly to runners that's the population I like to work with. Sure. Um but just things to read. So I would say the the best place to go would either be better with fix or bouldersportsphysio.com.
0: Awesome. We will make sure to put those uh, links in the description all that stuff. Uh, for now, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I really, really do appreciate it. I hope, uh, you know, things lighten up a little bit here on Boulder so we can, uh, you know, r- run into each other again very yeah. soon. Um, this wraps up this episode. Anything else you wanted to mention before we sign off?
1: Um, well, I just want to thank you again, too. Thanks, Stride. I thank you, Evan. Like, I love doing this stuff and it's, it, it's helping me stay connected to people mm-hmm. that I just miss seeing my people every day. And um, I have a good time doing these things. And I can't wait to do it in person with people. Um, and and really, I'm always open for questions. People don't always have to like schedule something. So if you just have a question, please don't hesitate to reach out. I always want to be a resource for people.
0: Awesome. Sounds great. Sarah, yeah. thanks again so much for coming on. This uh, wraps up this episode and we'll be back with another one shortly. Bye bye, everyone.
2: Thank you.